Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Welcome to Go For It. I am your host, Paul Cannon. For the next 60 minutes, the next hour, we're going to be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you'll get a heavy dose of my opinion. You have an opinion, the number to call 646 727 3070. That's 646 727 3070. You can listen to the show, blogtalkradio.com/pcan. Send messages to the show on Twitter at Go For Again. Why are you there? Go For Again on Twitter. Give me a follow. G O F O R I T G A N T. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by former NBA player Henry Bibby. Uh, Henry's looking to be a head coach in the NBA. He's been an assistant in the NBA. He's been a coach on the collegiate level, had a lot of success at USC. He is a father of Mike Bibby former Kings, former Hawks, former Grizzlies player. And then you look at Henry Bibby, again, he wants to be on an NBA bench as a head coach. He did interview for the Sacramento Kings job. Didn't work out for him. But, I mean, he's, he's still looking to be a coach, whether it's assistant, head coach, or what have you. But we're going to talk to Henry about his future. Also, we're going to talk to the agent of NBA prospect, Eric Griffin, agent B.J. Bass. And he's one of the agent's for Eric Griffin. If you don't know Eric Griffin's story, Eric Griffin, uh, a player, an NBA prospect who, who's been to been in camp with the Lakers, been in camp with the Mavericks, Clippers. So been in many teams, camps, been in the D-League, had a lot of success in the D-League. But charged with attempted murder back in May. A month later, charges were dropped, mistaken identity. He moves on with his life, but it did affect his chances uh, to play in the NBA this year, at least at this point. But again, that could change because ultimately he is in um, he he is in overseas in Israel. So who knows what the possibilities? He does have an opt opt out clause, so who knows? Maybe he'll be able to come back stateside uh, during this year. But we'll see. But we're going to be joined by BJ Bass, the agent, one of the agents for Eric Griffin, and also former NBA player Henry Bibby. Let's get right down to it, man. We're here. Um, Dak Prescott. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys, Tony Romo went down again. Back injury. Cowboys said he's okay. Romo says he's okay. Everybody says he's okay. He's not going to play in the preseason finale, but that's common. Most starters don't play in the preseason finale. Uh, The third game is the dress rehearsal. That's where you're going to see the starters for the last time before the regular season. That fourth game is just – all about the rookies, free agents, and those scrapping to make the football team. So Romo's done for the preseason. Obviously, the goal for the Dallas Cowboys is to keep Tony Romo healthy. You want to keep him as healthy as possible. You want to keep him as upright as possible. Because, again, if you look at the Dallas Cowboys last season and the the struggles that they had last season, I mean, their struggles – was a big part, a big part of the struggles 
is Tony Romo being on the sidelines. Tony Romo's being in street clothes. You know, they got off to that good start. I believe they were 2-0 at one point last year. Romo goes down against the Eagles with the collarbone, and it was a done deal. It, it pretty much was a done deal for the Dallas Cowboys after Tony Romo went down. And, and so if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you don't want to experience what you experienced last season with your backup quarterback situation. Your backup quarterback situation was awful. Awful. I mean, there's really no getting around that. And because it was so awful, because it was so awful, you struggled. Because it was so awful, your team, the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys struggled. I mean, they won their first two, and then they lost their next seven. Lost their next seven. Romo comes back. They get a win. Romo leaves again, gets the Panthers, and the season was done. You could argue the season was done in Philadelphia after the team went 2-0 and Romo went down. But you look at it now, and you look at the situation with the Cowboys, maybe, just maybe, they have found their backup quarterback. And, oh, by the way, the quarterback of, their quarterback of the future. So you might have found your backup for this year, and you might have found your quarterback for the future. Dak Prescott has been impressive. The the numbers are eye-popping. The numbers are great. But through the first two preseason games, on the cleaning last night, 22 for 27, 338 yards, four touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, And, oh, by the way, zero interceptions. And, oh, by the way, a perfect quarterback rating of 158.3. So, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, obviously you feel, at this point in time, I should say, you feel slightly more confident than you did last year at this time at least when it comes to your backup quarterback situation. But I will say this. And and let me, before I say this, let me say this. I I look at this Cowboys football team and I say to myself, okay, if Tony Romo were to go down and and Dak Prescott was going to go in, he's coming into a decent situation on the offensive side of football. If you look at the Dallas Cowboys on the offensive side of football, There are weapons there. You can seemingly protect this guy with your running game. And Ezekiel Elliott, last night, seven carries, 48 yards. It's only preseason. I don't want to get too high. I don't want to get too low. It's only preseason. But he was impressive in, in what we saw. He was impressive. But, again, it's only preseason. But here's what I'll say. I, I think you would feel comfortable with Ezekiel Elliott as your running back, especially with that offensive line, that you can protect this guy. Jason Witten as your tight end. Des Bryant as your wide receiver. your number one wide receiver, one of the best wideouts in football. So you should feel confident if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan if Dak Prescott had to play based on what we've seen so far. But remember, this is preseason. 
ain't no game planning in preseason. So it, 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 we're not 100% sure if Dak Prescott has the goods. It's looking good so far. I mean, if you look at the three quarterbacks, I mean, just look at the top two guys selected. Wentz, Carson Wentz, number two to the Philadelphia Eagles, Jared Goff, number one to the Los Angeles Rams. If you look at those three prospects, you put those three prospects, you look at them, you stand them up, and you pick, and you say who should have been the number one pick, at this moment you would pick Dak Prescott. Still early. Carson Wentz we only saw one time. Rib injury out for the preseason. Jared Goff we've seen, again, up and down. But Dak Prescott, been impressive, been big time balling out. You feel good in Dallas at this point in time. But again, I got to say the but, and it's a big but, a Kim Kardashian but. It's only preseason. So let me see a game plan against this guy. Let, let, let me see. Uh, a t- and you could say that goes both ways in terms of an offensive game plan. Let me see a defense game plan against Dak Prescott and, and, and try to take away some of the things that he does effectively. And let's see how he responds because it's going to happen. So let's, let's, let's see a team game plan against this guy and, and see what that looks like. And, and after we see what that, after we see that, we can start drawing conclusions. But at this point in time, he looks impressive. He, he looks the part. He's big, strong, gets the ball out there, obviously can move, and seemingly a guy that, again, if Tony Romo were to go down go down in 2016, you feel confident, well, a little more confident than you did last season about your chances to continue to have a level of success. But, again, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, and we'll get to Ezekiel Elliott uh, a little later, a little later, a little later on the show. But Ezekiel Elliott paid a visit to a weed shop out there in Washington. I'll tell you what that means, if anything. But I'll definitely tell you what that means, in my opinion. But we're going to switch gears now. We're going to go uh, to a guy now trying to get himself back into the NBA. Was an assistant for many years, trying to get himself a head coaching job in the NBA had success at USC on the collegiate level. And, and that guy is former 76er, Clipper, uh, Henry Bibby, and we're going to bring him in now. Let's bring him in now. Former NBA player, Henry Bibby. Henry, how are you? Pretty good yourself, Paul. Can't complain. Life Thanks is for good. joining us, sir. Now, Henry, you interviewed for the Sacramento Kings job back in May. Ultimately, they went in a different direction. At the time, did you think you had a legit shot at the job? You know, I, Paul, I really thought I did um, from the standpoint of, of um, really knowing the personnel and being able to communicate uh, with people and bringing my expertise and also my son with me. So I thought I had a good shot of getting a, getting a job and talking about how we can, you know, get um, DeMarcus Cousins to reach his potential. Uh, I've worked with some guys who you have who have been um, 
you know, not not so to speak difficult to coach, but guys who have a personality, guys who who play at a different level, have a have a different mentality than a, than a lot of players do. So I think you have to be able to communicate with those guys differently than you do the average player. And I've done that uh, in Memphis with uh, guys like Zach Randolph, Tony Allen. Uh, when I was in Philadelphia, I worked with Allen Iverson. Uh, these guys are guys who are so much better than the average guy, and their expectations for those guys is to be as good as they are, and the guys aren't as good as, those, those, as a, a guy like Cousins. So I, I thought I could bring that to the table. Uh, you know, I know uh, Darren Collinson from um, UCLA. At the time, they had John Rondo, who is a very, very good friend of mine, and Rudy Gay, who I worked work with in Memphis. So I thought I had a good shot to get the job, to sit down and be able to get those guys going in the right direction. But, again, you know, other, other elements come in, and, and they go in different directions, like you said. So, so let me ask you this now. You said you were going to have Mike, your son, a part of your staff. What does Mike bring to the table as an assistant coach? Well, you know, I think what he brings first is visibility. He brings what he's done for 14 years back to a team where he he was um, got his name recognition from. Um, as you know, he played really well in Sacramento. He was a, a fan favorite there, and I thought he could come back and you know relate to the guards that were there. And at the time, it was raised on Rondo that that Mike knows well. You know, my my nephew uh, coached Rondo in Kentucky, so we are we are all close there. You know, he could help, uh, you know, Collison become a better, you know, point guard. Uh, Max Lamore, he could he could have helped a lot of those guys and, and brought back, you know, only three years of being out of the NBA back to a connection with the guys that were there. So let me ask you this now. If a head coaching job doesn't happen, I know you want to be a head coach in the NBA, are you open to being an assistant again in the NBA? You know, I am, Paul. I, I don't have a problem being an assistant in the NBA. Uh, I, you know, I'm looking at college as well. I, I love to get back in college. Um, I think um, I did a, did a good job in college when I was at SC. We did we took the team to the Elite Eight where they'd never been been there at any point in time. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem being uh, a coach back in college again. I, I love working with young guys, and I love giving them that direction that they, they haven't had. Give them experience. I have, you know, 40-plus years of, of coaching experience, and um, there are not too many situations I haven't seen, Paul. I've been <laughs> in on a lot of situations, and I can make some, some pretty good decisions, I think, uh, based on my experience. Now, you feel like even at the age of 66, if that's not old, but I'm saying you still feel like you can relate to younger NBA players, to NBA players, period. Well, you know, it's not a problem. I, again, I was in college, um, and, and uh, you know, what, what the guys want more than anything is a relationship. Uh, it, you know, it's not, it's not all about coaching. It's not all about the X's and O's. It's about having a relationship with people. In, in anything you do, it's about relationships. So sure. I can communicate on their level and talk basketball and talk personal life, too, and show that I'm concerned about them. You know, most most of the young players, NBA as well, and older players as well, they, they want to know that you care about them, that you're giving them the right information, 
that's what they want more so than anything is a relationship. It's not about going out winning basketball games. You know, you look at the good teams like um, like Golden State. They have they had a relationship. So you you have to get get guys in there who want to play, who want to win, who want to sacrifice, and get coaches that understand that that's been around winning uh, and know how to win and know how to talk to the guys about winning. That's that's the key. Is that is is what goes on, Paul, behind the scenes, not what go on on the scene, what you see on the court. It's what goes on off the court, uh, the relationship that people have. We're talking to former NBA player Henry Bibby. And, Henry, let me ask you this now. You played with the great Dr. J. And, and I, I think uh-huh. sometimes we forget how great he was over the years. We forget his greatness. Put into words the greatness of Dr. J. I don't, I don't know if you can, Paul. It's, you know, this it, the greatness of Dr. J is he was a great, great person. Not just a good basketball player. You find some good basketball players that are not so good people. Dr. J was like one of the nicest guys you could ever meet, uh, family orientated, um, you know, easy to play with. Uh, his demeanor was great. And, and once you see his talent, there was, there was nobody really any better than Dr. J out on the floor. Uh, offensively, it, you know, you, you couldn't really stop the guy. On the fast break, he's the best. But um, he, he put a game, a game together that that no one could even fancy that could be. I remember my brother is is from Richmond, Virginia, and I was with the Knicks my, my first year, 1972. He said, boy, you should see this guy in the ABA. He's unbelievable. And this is when they were in Virginia. And uh, I said, well, we're going to play this guy in the exhibition game. I said, we have a guy, Dave DeBusher, that's going to, like, eat him up. You know, just stop him completely. Because Dave DeBusher is the best defense player in the NBA. So these guys played, and, and Dr. J just turned it out. And I'm saying, wow, my brother was right. This guy is that good. So he, he goes back a lot of years, and when he came to Philadelphia, he just changed the whole dynamics of the 76ers. We were like – the sideshow. We were like the Lakers when Magic Johnson would go places and everyone would want to go see them. We had a different group of guys with, uh, you know, Dr. J, Doug Collins, Steve Mix, uh, Chocolate Thunder and Daryl Dawkins and Caldwell Jones and, and Joe Bryant, Kobe's dad, and World Be Free, who was the first guy who changed his name. Guys like that. We uh, we just had a different group. But he, he brought everybody together. He was the focal point of what we were trying to do, and he was the mainstay of what we were doing. How do you rank Dr. J in comparison to a LeBron James in comparison to a Michael Jordan? Better, not as good? You know, they, they play different. They play different games. Uh, you know, LeBron is, is he's like a Magic Johnson. He's, you know, he handles the basketball. He plays inside. He plays outside. He does. He jumps center. He does everything. He's kind of like magic. Um, you know, Michael Jordan was just the epitome of a small forward that could do everything. He and Kobe, you know, relate to each other. They look like each other. And Dr. J was was different. Dr. J was like a Connie Hawkins okay. from years ago. And I know people don't remember uh, Connie Hawkins, but he was a a great one on one player, uh, dynamic, um, uh, magnificent. Uh, like a magician on the court. 
that's what doctor was. He he operated. This guy operated on the court <laughs> with great smoot moves, you know, the big one-hand dunk shots. I mean, he would just orchestrate a basketball game, which was a little different than what the other guys do. He had a, a little a more uh, flair with him, a little more flair than, than most of the other guys had, I think, other than Michael. Michael had a flair, but Julius had a flair that was second to none. We're talking to former NBA player Henry Bibby. And let's switch gears now to current NBA. When Kevin Durant left OKC, went to the Warriors, another super team, I guess, in, in, in Golden State, even though they did win 73 games. But let me ask you this. Barring injury, are the Warriors beatable in a seven-game series? You know, no, I don't think so. They are they're really, really a good basketball team. And to add a player like Kevin Durant, it just makes him even better. And, you know, what I was so um, uh, so excited about in seeing them play is how they played together, how, how they knew who the stars were. The key on basketball teams are the, the players knowing who the star is. And on that team, there were no stars. Everybody was a star, so to speak. Everybody had their night. They were talking about Andre Iguodala, you know, not last year, the year before, who was the MVP of the of the tournament. He probably uh, of the playoffs, and he averaged nine points a game. I mean, they do so many different things. They have so many uh, ingredients to throw at you uh, from from player one through ten that can beat you, and that's that's the difference. They had a bench uh, that could play. Uh, they let Curry play, they let Thompson play, Barnes play, uh, Draymond Green. All these guys were able to play their own game, and everybody was happy with it. That's the key is they didn't have any jealousy on the basketball team. Uh, and, you know, uh, Steve Curry did a great job putting it together. You know, Luke Walton did a super job when when uh, Curry was out. Uh, but those guys played. They played together every night. Uh, they had a goal. They set a goal for themselves. They had a vision. Teams have to have visions to do what they did. Is Steph Curry the greatest shooter you've ever seen? Who is that? Steph Curry. Greatest shooter you've ever seen? <laughs> yeah. That's why I asked you, who is that? Yeah, yeah. He, he's an unbelievable shooter. I mean, I, I haven't seen anyone shoot like that consistently. And I, I, I was not a Golden State fan because I've never believed uh, you live by the three-point shot just because of percentages. Um, he's really good. I, you know, he, Clay Thompson shoots probably as well. I mean, you talk about, you know, Curry shooting it. This guy Thompson can shoot it just as well. And he's kind of overlooked because he's on that team. I, you know, at one point in time this year he had, what, 30 points and a half or some, or, you know, some ridiculous type of scoring. Sure. You don't have them if you can't shoot the basketball. So I put him right up there with, with uh, Curry in the way of shooting the basketball. But he's the, he's the best I've seen on a consistent basis night in and night out. Now the Warriors, obviously, they are a super team, as we said. Are super, are super teams good for the game of basketball? Uh, you know, why not? Uh, I think, you know, the free agency guys have been in, and LeBron kind of started it. Uh, players can go play where they want to play. You know, why not have a super team? I, um, you know, Mark Jackson really put that team together before, um, and, and Steve Kerr carried it on. So they had, they had the right ingredients. 
the scouting, the scouting uh, department, along with the coaches and the management, decided what kind of team they wanted. And this is what you have to decide on. It's not always the best player that you're going for, but you have a vision of how you want your team to play. And this is what Golden State came across uh, that year. Mark Jackson was there, was there. They decided this is the way they're going to play with the people they drafted, before, even before they drafted them. And they came out with a different way of playing. And, uh, you know, people talk about new basketball, but this is the way they play. This is what they created. They created a system where these guys would play that way. We're talking to Henry Bibby. Now, Henry, you've been around the the game of basketball for 40 years, a very long time, man. A lot has changed in the game of basketball. For you, what has been the biggest change in the sport? You know, I, I, the, the biggest change I've seen, is it, it, it's not really a big man anymore. They're, they're getting away from this big center, uh, the Elijah Wands, the Pat Ewings, the Willis Reeds, and people like that. They're not having any more big, slow, low-post players. Uh, that's the, the biggest change I've, I've seen more so than anything. I, I think another thing there, people are sharing the basketball more. They have players players and teams like Golden State who can do more than just come down and throw the ball inside and cut. Uh, uh, They're so good because they they have so many players that can do so many things. You know, dribble, shoot, pass, rebound, defend. They have five or six guys that can do the same thing, which creates situations where you don't have to have all the defensive gimmicks that teams have. You can switch, same size guys, and that's what Golden State did a lot of, and that created a, a different type of defense for them that was easier to coach and tougher to play against. So, um, they, But the big man, I think, has, has changed more so than anything. And if there are big men in the game, they're like Novinsky that can, can shoot, run the floor, uh, play out on the perimeter, uh, but not just a low-post player where you come down and let's just beat the ball inside of them and score. Do you enjoy today's game? Uh, I, you know, I, I it's different. It's different. I, I enjoy watching some of the teams play, uh, but I, I also like to watch the talent, the individual talent sometimes uh, of teams who don't move the basketball as much as a Golden State. You really see the individual talent of guys uh, on on some teams more so than others, uh, like a. Cleveland, you, you don't see as much passing of the basketball, but you see the individual talent of uh, Kyrie Irving, what he can really do with the basketball. And that's what you don't see as much of now with, with teams because teams are starting to emulate the teams that are doing well. So everybody's going to try to go out and play like Golden State now. They're going to try to get guys like that. That's the trend of the NBA. That's what they've done. Teams that years ago when they won with big centers, they would go find a big center. It used to be uh, 6'5 point guards. Now they're back to small point guards. So it varies. It goes back and forth with uh, the success of what has happened in the NBA. You know, it's kind of funny. You go to playgrounds nowadays. Maybe a few years back, you saw a lot of kids doing the dribbling, you know, the N1 type stuff. And now you see a lot of kids wanting to be a Steph Curry, shooting threes and things of that nature. Have you seen that difference? Well, yeah, you see, you see a lot of that. Yeah, you don't see 
as much uh, of, of the ball handling and stuff like that. And that's why I created a basketball uh, called the Dribble Pro that helps, helps kids um, learn, keep learning how to dribble the basketball, how to hold the basketball and be better shooters, how to rebound. So I created this basketball for, for people to, for young people to keep improving their game. I remember Kobe, Kobe Bryant was saying that the kids have gotten away from playing basketball, knowing how to play basketball, knowing how to dribble, how to shoot, how to hold the ball. So my ball that I created uh, has done that, you know, for kids that are coming up. And that's what I wanted to do, get back to the, the grassroots uh, of kids being able to do more than just shoot, more than just dribble, more than just pass. You know, you, you, want, you want basketball players that are growing up to be able to do more things. And uh, like you say, they've gotten only in the shooting now. It's not as much handling the basketball. But, you know, that's a big part of the game. And to me, it's a better trend. I mean, it's, it's very important to be able to shoot the basketball. And I think it's a better, much better trend. Yes. We're talking to former NBA player Henry Baby. Henry, Henry, I want to ask you this. You did coach Allen Iverson. He is about to enter the Hall of Fame. How do you remember AI? I, you know, the, the guy was so good. We, we coached him in, in Philly. I was one of the assistant coaches there. And you're talking about a guy that could score anytime he wanted to. You know, and a lot of things ha- had to be run for him. It was a little tough for AI to play in a system where he didn't have the basketball. It was a little tougher for him because that's what he's done his whole life. But you talk about a player uh, of that size, uh, how many times he hit the floor during the course of a game, during the course of his career. But, again, people people didn't know AI. He, he's like Dr. J. He's a great, great person off the court. Just an unbelievable person. Nice guy to be around, uh, you know, even kill, uh, really family-orientated, uh, you, know, really, you know, really helped some of the kids of Philadelphia who were struggling. Uh, he would go and, and give money to those kids to help them out and help their families. Just a great guy. Just a great, great guy. And we know how good he was as a basketball player. There are not too many people better than you, – you're not going to pick too many guards in the NBA – who are better than, than AI. For sure. Now, Henry, your son, Mike, he had a solid career. You had a solid career. End of the day, who's the better Bibby, Mike or Henry? Oh, he's better. He's better. <laughs> but, again, we, we did different things. I think I was quicker than he was. Uh, he, he shot the ball much better than I did. And I thought I was a pretty good shooter, but he shot the ball really was a great shooter. Uh, He's a, he's a more savvy point guard than I am, than I was at the time. Um, he, um, you know, he, he, he ran a team, knew how to ran, run a team, and he ran it to perfection. Uh, I thought he was a great passer as well and a, a very, very good basketball player. He was much better than I was. <laughs> so, so all in all, I mean, over the years, <laughs> you and Mike's relationship got better, has gotten better. You guys seem to be in a very good place. Uh, you know, we're Paul. We're in a great place now. You know, we, we had some snacks. Uh, we, you know, I'm like everybody. We had family issues, and and part of our most families are dysfunctional. Uh, you have to recognize that and be able to work with it. But you know, we passed that stage um, of, um, of of being dysfunctional, and now we're back on the same page. I mean, it's it's a lot that you have when you have 
pro people in the family. Uh, you know, I dedicated my whole life basically to my career, and that's what most athletes do. They put a lot of time in their careers, and, and the families kind of struggle. So, you know, that kind of happened with me, and uh, now I'm back, and we haven't, we haven't lost any time, and I'm happy with all my kids. I'm happy to have a relationship and be in their lives and, and, and be that way. I have 12 grandkids. I'm happy with that, and, and I get to see them and hang out with Mike and, and his kids, and, and um, we have fun, a lot of fun, Paul. But, we, it, you know, it took a lot of work to get there. You know, I'm writing a book and doing a movie about all this, this uh, setting, the setting of dysfunctional families and how you get back into to the good graces of each other uh, and keep an open mind and you know that we are human. We do make mistakes, but uh, we got to recognize those mistakes and you got to bend a little bit. You got to forgive and get back on track and go again. So we're in a, we're in a great place right now. Um, my, uh, my grandson uh, is, is off in college now, so hopefully we have a third generation that's coming up uh, to play some more basketball. There seems to be special Bibby blood. That Bibby blood seems to be very special. Your brother played baseball, your son, I mean, yourself. That Bibby blood is special. You know, Paul, we were in the right place at the right time. You know, God is good. Uh, I was from a, a good family, very poor family, you know, in North Carolina. But, uh, you know, I had a good family situation to keep us on track. Uh, I was around now, sometimes good things happen. You just keep working, keep being positive. Uh, have a good outlook on life. Uh, have good, try to have good people around you, and you you'll get some breaks once in a while. I got a couple of breaks. I did uh, from North Carolina, and uh, you know Mike got a break. Everybody gets a break. They make it happen. All in all, should we expect to see you on an NBA bench, either as a head coach or an assistant coach this year? Well, I, you know, I'm working. I'm working at it, Paul. Uh, you know, it's not easy sometimes to get there. Very few guys uh, get in those positions. So, hopefully, you know, I can have a buddy that might bring me on, or you know, there might be a team who is still looking for some people. And you know, I feel with you know 40 some years of experience, uh, and it's nothing like experience. You have to have you know experience uh, to keep moving. And like I say, it's not too many situations I haven't seen. And I want to share that information. I want to give that information back to some of these young people, some of these basketball teams who are trying to get uh, to the next level. If I, I've won every place I've been. I know how to win, you know, playing for John Wooden, winning, you know, championships with him and going on and playing, you know, for Red Hoseman who won the championship in the NBA and uh, went to the CBA and won a championship down there and a coach at the college level and we've, you know, we were one game away from going to the Final Four, and the team that beat us was Duke, who ended up winning the championship that year. So I think I have an idea of, of how to put together a situation that can, that can blossom into uh, being what owners would want a team to be with the right personnel. Sounds good. Henry, pleasure talking to you, sir. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Let's do it again. Paul, Paul I appreciate it. Thank you, and... You have a good day out there, okay? Take care. Henry Bibby, former NBA player, uh, looking to be on somebody's bench as an assistant coach or a head coach.
in the NBA next season or even in college as well. So we'll see what happens with Henry Bibby. Let's go back to the Dallas Cowboys. Ezekiel Elliott last night played well, seven carries, 48 yards, ran the ball hard, ran the ball tough, bouncing off Cam Chancellor and those boys out there in Seattle. But now Ezekiel Elliott, while in Washington, while in Seattle, made a visit to a little weed store. As we know, in the state of Washington, marijuana is legal. So Ezekiel Elliott was, was seen at a store, Herban Legends, in Seattle. Again, he was seen at the store and did not make any purchases, was not seen making any purchases. But, I mean, I mean, is it that big of a deal? Not really. Because marijuana is legal in Washington. It's going to be legal in in many different parts of this country at some point. But here's also the deal, and and here's why it's a problem. Jerry Jones said, you know, not a good situation. He's none too pleased. He's saying, quote, well, I think that in the end, I think that in and out of itself, the reason we're talking about it is, in a way, a part of the learning process. But it's not good. It's just not good. It's just not good. Those are the words of Jerry Jones. I mean, it's not good in in, in the sense that, obviously, marijuana is a banned substance in the National Football League. Again, why do we test for marijuana in the NFL when you've got a team in Washington, Seattle, where it's legal, you have a team in Colorado and with the Denver Broncos where it's legal. So you got these places and in those particular areas, it's legal. It's legal. And I guess, it's, I mean, it's not a good look. It's most definitely not a good look, but it's not that big of a deal at the same time. Not a good look, but not a big deal. Because at the end of the day, like I said before, it's it's legal for recreational use in, in, in various places. And it's legal for medicinal purposes in many parts of the country. And if you look at that, in terms of an NFL player, smoking marijuana is probably better for you than, than some of these prescription drugs, these pain pills. You got a lot of people hooked on that as well. Again, you remember, and, and I think I told this story before, but I'll tell it again. I'll say it again. You remember back late 90s, early 2000s in the NBA where they weren't testing for marijuana and people kind of weren't up in, up in arms and felt like, you know what, the NBA should test for marijuana. And ultimately, they got it in there where they do test for marijuana. But if if that situation was going on now in the NBA in terms of the talk of whether or not they should test for marijuana, most people wouldn't bat an eye and wouldn't even care. Most people would say, so what? It's just marijuana. Now, now, it's a, I mean, then, big deal. Now, who cares? And I think the NFL, they need to get to the point as well where, where they say, who cares? Where they say, who cares? Because at this point, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it really doesn't. 
I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Some would argue that getting high is better than getting drunk. Again, I, I never got high before, so I don't know. But I will say this. I mean, you got leagues, and the NFL is one of them, who has alcohol sponsors. What's the difference between alcohol and marijuana? Probably the only difference is that marijuana is illegal and alcohol is legal. But a lot of people will say, if you look at some of these prescription drugs, this is basically heroin they give you in some of them. These, these pain pills, basically heroin, heroin they're giving you. So I'm like, at this point, I'm like, at this point in 2016, why are we sweating people smoking weed? Why? And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Obviously, if you're Ezekiel Elliott, you need to stay clear, far and clear, of those marijuana shops because at the end of the day, it is a banned substance in the NFL. So if your job says you can't smoke it, you can't smoke it. If your job says it's not good, then it's not good. And so at the end of the day, that's a part of maturity. That's a part of growing up. That's a part of being a man. And being a man, uh, unfortunately, being an adult, unfortunately, requires you to do things that you don't want to do. Requires you to stay far and clear from marijuana shops because it's a banned substance, because it could get you in trouble, get you suspended. Ask your boy Demarcus Lawrence, Randy Gregory. I mean, ask your boys. I mean, you got cats in the locker room that you could talk to and ask, like, look. And, and there are, are exhibit A and exhibit B on why you shouldn't be near a weed shop, even though it's legal, even though you did nothing wrong, technically. You did nothing wrong, technically. Technically. But at the end of the day, and I, and I say technically, I mean, in terms of the law, you did nothing wrong. But in terms of the National Football League and its guidelines and its rules and its ideas and its beliefs, you did a whole heck of a lot wrong. And, and again, didn't go into the shop. Well, there's no video of him going to the shop. Well, I don't know. If, let's say this. There's no video of him making any purchases. So he could have just been sightseeing. And, and to a lot of people from around the country, you know, going to a marijuana shop, it, it is for, for some people because obviously if you're in the Northeast or other parts of the country and you go to a Colorado or you go to a Washington and you see a weed shop, it, weed shop excuse me, it's like, whoa, they're allowed to do that. Wow, this is what it looks like. This is what a weed shop looks like. I seen it on TV. Now I get to see it in person. What it looks like. Wow. And, and so I, I say that to say, you know what? Not the biggest of deals, but it is a big deal. And, and it's almost like they hate to have this conversation. And it's almost like we shouldn't be having this conversation in 2016. But as long as the NFL continues to test for marijuana, we're going to be having this conversation because fortunately, unfortunately, however you want to say it, there's going to be players who's going to be suspended. There are going to be players who will be suspended for smoking weed.
And that's the bottom line. Hate it, love it, it is what it is. And and if the NFL says it and you want to be in the National Football League, you got to ride with it. And whether you hate it or love it, you got to ride with it. You want a job in the National Football League, you got to ride with it. But it's silly. It's silly in 2016 that we continue to have this conversation about folks, individuals, players, smoking weed. I don't deal with myself, not my thing. But I mean, at the end of the day, why are we wasting these players' time? And, and especially with some of the, the the benefits that may come from some, the pain in, in terms of alleviating pain, the benefits, benefits of it, and a physical violent game, the benefits would seem to outweigh the negative. Just my opinion. Let me, let's go to Josh Brown for a moment. Kicker for the New York Giants, apparently, what, 20 incidents of of alleged abuse with his ex-wife. I know last summer he was cited for a violation of of a protection warrant, protection order, I should say, and he violated that. And, and now, I mean, he wasn't supposed to be 500 feet of his wife. And, and I know charges have been dropped and, and things of that nature with Josh Brown. But I, 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 how Josh Brown has a job in the National Football League and Ray Rice doesn't and, and Greg Hardy doesn't is, is ridiculous. Now, I'm not advocating uh, those guys. Well, I am advocating because I thought, you know, at the end of the day, Greg Hardy, what he did was wrong. But he wasn't convicted. He was convicted, but ultimately the case was thrown out because he had an appeal, and it was thrown out. With Ray Rice, he was convicted, but ultimately him and his wife moved forward. They're still together now. They're married, seemingly happily married. And my point is this. If we're going to throw the, the, the and say Greg Hardy should never play again in the NFL, Ray Rice should never play again in the NFL, Josh Brown probably doesn't belong on an NFL roster. Probably doesn't. I mean, but the difference, the big difference, we don't have pictures. We don't have videos. And I I feel like whether you have a video, whether you have a picture or not, domestic violence is domestic violence. And I don't care how good of a kicker he is. I mean, you're talking about told police, I mean, his wife told police, what, more than 20 instances over the past year, over over the past several years, excuse me. It did give him a one-game suspension, but come on. It it, it seems like if Ray Rice is not on the roster, why is this guy on the roster? If Greg Hardy's not on the NFL roster, why is Josh Brown on the NFL roster? I, I think we need to look at this. Is it racial? I don't know. But it doesn't seem to be much outrage. And again, that lack of outrage could mean because there's lack of photos, lack of videos. But it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right. I think the Giants need to take the stand. If the NFL is not going to take the stand, the Giants need to take the stand and, and move this guy on. And, and I'm all about giving guys second, third, fourth chances in life. I really am. But if the precedent has been set with Ray Rice and Greg Hardy, 
Greg Hardy got a second chance. Kind of messed it up, was acting stupid and so on and so forth. Didn't show contrition. But Ray Rice hasn't gotten a second chance. And he married that girl. That's his wife. Janae is his wife. That's how I feel about the situation. We're going to move forward, though. We're going to bring the guy now, uh, the agent for Eric Griffin. And again, Eric Griffin, if you don't know the story, NBA prospect, charged with attempted murder in May, charges dropped in June, mistaken identity, but it did affect his opportunity to catch on with an NBA team this season. But he's overseas in Israel, and we talked to one of his agents, DJ Bass. We're going to bring in a guy now, the agent for NBA prospect now. This player is overseas. Eric Griffin. Eric Griffin is overseas. I don't know if you heard the story. He was charged with attempted murder back in May. Ultimately, the charges were dropped, and he was able to move on and play overseas in Israel. We're going to talk to his agent now, one of his agents. Let's bring him in now. Agent for Eric Griffin, BJ Bass. BJ, how are you? I'm good, Paul. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Fantastic. Glad to be here. Now, BJ, let's get right down to it. Your client, Eric Griffin, as we said, charged with attempted murder in May. Charges dropped in June. Let me ask you this. When the story first came down, what was your initial reaction? Oh, my God. What, who, who, what, how do you react to something like that? You know? I mean, it's just we have this guy so close and he's so good. And now you're talking about a situation where, you know, the, the, the seriousness, you know, you put basketball in the proper perspective very quickly, you know? Um, and luckily, listen, we got the kid a good lawyer and they had evidence that he was not the guy and it was legitimate mistaken identity. Um, you know, it took some time to get everything like uh, official but uh, and that set us back a little bit with the NBA stuff this summer. But you know, you just just thankful, and the kid is you know, um, you know, just obviously totally thankful that this thing played out the way it did. What was Eric's mindset during that time? You know, I can't speak for Eric, but I I know that you know I saw him recently when he came up to New York last week. We had a little NBA showcase that we do, and. Uh, in New York City, and he was just, you could see it on his face. I mean, he was just, uh, when he got there, you know, I saw the biggest smile, and, and, and the, you know, he gave me a big hug, and it was just like, man, you know, this summer was just bananas. And <laughs> I could just tell from the, from the emotion that he was, you know, giving me there <clears throat> that, you know, there was obviously a real sense of relief here. Um, so, you know, again, you'd have to ask him to reflect exactly what's going through his mind but i mean man that's a tough spot to be in now before the attempted murder charge how many nba teams are you guys talking to i mean we talk to everybody i mean griff griff is a top top prospect if you look at the what this kid did in the d league the year that he was um we got a partial guarantee out of dallas this was two years ago and he was the last cut out of that camp. Um, and he went down to the Texas Legends in over 50 games. If you really analyze the numbers of what he did, it's staggering. I mean, forget for a minute the highlight dunks every night, dunking on every big in the league, blocking every shot. I mean, just freakish athletic highlights. 
okay, for putting that aside for a minute, the numbers, you know, making almost 100 threes in, in 50 games at, at 37%, you know, as a 6'8", 6'9", NBA athlete, um, the blocks, I mean, I think he had like 130 blocks over 50 games. So, so you talk about, you know, the league looking for these 3 and D guys, these numbers speak for themselves. So to answer your question, everybody was, is looking at Griff, okay? But, you know, we had some serious discussions with people before this whole thing went down um, earlier this summer, and it, it, it definitely, you know, it threw us a curve. So as we know, bad news travels faster than good news. Talk about the steps you guys went, to, went through and, and went to to help Eric, you know, with the NBA teams. To, to clear his name. Well, obviously, we circulated the news as soon as we got that, that to let everybody know um, that this was the situation um, and that, you know, obviously we're moving forward. Um, you know, from a PR perspective, you know, we something that we take very seriously as part of, uh, you know, promoting and marketing our guys is, is leveraging the media. And uh, whether it's social media or traditional media, but being able to tap into that network to make sure that all the stuff that was put out there earlier this summer, um, you know, the same guys are putting the, the, the good story out there now. For sure, for sure. And, and that's a good thing because, I mean, unfortunately he was charged. Ultimately the charges were dismissed. And you hate to see someone have that stain on their name, but ultimately he got cleared and hopefully – People can forget. We're talking to one of the agents of Eric Griffin, BJ Bass. And, and BJ, last week you, you guys had an NBA showcase, and in your own words, you said Eric was electric. Talk about his performance. If you go uh, onto the D League site um, and you just check or you go on YouTube and just watch the uh, Meet Eric Griffin little YouTube thing they have from the D League. He was doing all the same stuff last week. I mean, this kid is – everybody knows, and people will admit that this kid belongs in the league just based on his athleticism. You know, he can come in and, and give you a little energy and all this stuff that you see him doing in the D League and we saw him Sunday night, it all translates. You make threes in the D League, you're going to make threes in the NBA. You know, you're a good weak side shot blocker without fouling in the D league, you're going to have that, that skill translates. So it's uh, to me. And, you know, he just stamped it the other night. I mean, we had a really good crew the other night. We had 30 kids. Um, most of them were had already had a bunch of vet camps or summer leagues or have been in the D league. I mean, these guys are also NBA prospects, um, not to the level maybe Griff is, but they're all legitimate guys. And Griff, I mean, he did his thing. I mean, he, he, he went up and dunked on people. He, he tried to block everything in the gym, and he got most of them. Um, you know, he, when he closes out on you, it's a very difficult make. Um, he does a lot of things also that I think go under the radar. He's very good at spacing. He, he has an innate ability with spacing, both in transition and half court. He knows how to get himself free and make it easy for you to get him the ball where he can finish. Um, you know, and that's not a lot of guys know how to do that. Everything that you saw in the D-League, 
that's what we saw Sunday night. And I think the NBA was reminded, um, hey, this kid is back on the market, and he's as good as we thought he was. Now, he does have an opt-out clause in his contract where he can return to the NBA. Do you think it's likely he'll return to the NBA this season? Next season, I should say? I think that we have him in a good spot. It's a good platform in Europe where the NBA will watch him in Israel. Uh, they, their international scouting is, you know, has gotten deeper and deeper, and they're keeping an eye on, on Grip. So whether he was in the D League, um, which is very difficult to, for a guy like that at this point to, you know, to take just the D League salary, okay, um, this is a similar type of platform in Israel where he can actually make some money. And then, yeah, somebody calls, he'll come back. For sure, for sure. We're talking to one of the agents for Eric Griffin, B.J. Bass. And, and, B.J., who do you compare him to in the NBA that's playing now? Is there a particular player? Uh, nobody that's playing now. And he's okay. very difficult because he's so unique. But a guy I would give you – um, as the closest NBA comp that I come up with is Gerald Wallace. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Griff, I think Gerald Wallace might be a little bit longer, a touch longer, and and maybe Griff has a little more speed, um, but they're similar type of athletes, and I think they would play a similar type of role in the league. End of the day, Eric Griffin in the NBA do you expect that to happen, if not this year, at some point? That's the plan. What I will tell you is that the one thing I've learned being in this business is a lot of luck involved. And you want to take it back to the beginning of our discussion about, you know, had things gone another way and what, what kind of discussion are we having now? You know, but the, the kid is good. We're, we're, we have him on the right path, and that's the plan. Sounds good. BJ, pleasure talking to you. Wish you nothing but the best of luck. Let's do it again. Thanks, Paul. Anytime. BJ Bass, agent for Eric Griffin. Again, we with Eric Griffin, BJ Bass, and the rest of those guys. Nothing but the best of luck. Hopefully Eric Griffin can go out there, ball out in Israel, come back stateside, do his thing, and, and make it happen for him in the NBA. I want to thank Henry Bibby for stopping by. I also want to thank B.J. Bass, the agent for Eric Griffin. You can listen to this show and other great shows, blocktalkradio.com slash pecant. You can send messages to this show on Twitter, at GoForItGantio, F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. You can hit up our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash GoForItGant. Hit, hit, hit our Facebook page up. Like us, facebook.com slash go for again and support all the great things going on with Paul Gannon and go for it. For everybody here at Go For It, we hope that you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care. <laughs>